Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Yeah, so I was drinking last night and it was terrible. It yeah, is no longer the same. Takes a few days off. It's I, I don't I was laying in bed with some ice on my eyes. I was like, I the amount of pressure in my brain just feels insane. And it's not like it was very much. It was just apparently more than than was needed. Much more than was needed. Did you drink water while you were consuming alcohol? No. Which is but. the worst part. Yeah, right? You have to I made drink, made a bad call like, there. You have to drink two glasses of water for every alcoholic beverage you have. It's just the rule. Is that what you do? Do you drink? That's what I do. I do drink. I drink probably maybe a few times per month, but not really that frequently. Um just cuz I feel like foggy the next day even if I do drink a bunch of water, I'm just not operating at my best. So I save it for more special occasions. That's a smart thing to but do. I, I love margaritas. Really? Yes, That's they're so good. I used to bartend, and there's this cider. I think it's Michigan-made cider, hard cider, and it's mango habanero. And I would, um, I would make a margarita and then top it with the mango habanero cider, and it was. Damn, that sounds pretty, pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenna, we talked yesterday about your experience with some ayahuasca. Yep. And I am very interested to hear everything from what made you decide to go there and then where it was. I mean, I know you told me, but I wanted to have it recorded as well. But um, if you can take me through your experience, why? Okay. Okay. So to like back it up even before um, I went. So when I was 18 in 2010, right after I graduated high school, my dad passed away. And it was incredibly difficult. Um, One, like, my dad and I had a super close relationship. And, like, we got along really well. He's got an incredible sense of humor. He's really smart. And I just respect the way in which he parented me. And um, so when he passed away, my whole life kind of just shattered. And I didn't have any sort of, because I wasn't raised with any sort of religious or spiritual background. And so there were so many questions that flooded through me about like, okay, well, where did he go? What is this whole purpose in life? Like, okay, so you just go to school, you get a job, you get in debt, you retire and die. Like, is that really the timeline for things? And it was when I saw him in the hospital room where um 
it like all the machines were off and he had passed away and I walked in there and the first thing I thought when I saw him was like, that's not my dad. Like that's my dad's body, but that's not my dad anymore. And I'm like, okay, so his personality or hit like who he was, was really something within him that gave him life. And so I was like, okay, what is that? And where did that go? You know, cause it's just a translation of energy. So if that body isn't really him, then who are you? as a whole and what happens to you. And so within, you know, I, I got super obsessed with one, like finding purpose and just like, okay, what's going on and asking all these questions. And I was going through kind of like an existential experience where everyone else my age was out partying, doing all this crazy stuff and focused on surface level things. And I was like, what is happening in life right now? And of course, for a few years, I went down a really dark drug, alcohol, just everything to try to like numb it out and pretend that it wasn't happening because my heart was so broken and I didn't have the tools in order to process that. That was another thing that I thought about with school. I was like, how could I have gone through that many years of schooling and never learn how to process emotions, process grief? process, anything like that. You know, the, there was no emotional education with the schooling I had. And so I, when I was 21, I think, yes, when I was 21, I got a job um, waitressing at a restaurant called Cafe Zola in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Cafe Zola is this like bougie brunch place in downtown Ann Arbor with like $30 omelets. And like, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> and it's really good food. You know, it's like, of course it's like $30 omelets, but it's also like Amish farm eggs and all this stuff. But anyway, I digress. Um, I was hired in with a girl and she was actually two years older than me from the same high school. So she graduated with my brother. So I kind of knew of her, but I wasn't friends with her. Was doing orientation with her at the restaurant. And she was kind of this hippie girl. And she was telling me about how she just got back from the Temple of the Way of Light, which is a ayahuasca retreat center in Peru. So um, when I... Where was it? Right outside of Iquitos, I think. That was the city it was right outside of but um she was telling me about it and she was talking about how she she only went for the seven day intensive I think or the 10 day intensive and she said that she like saw parts of her soul and like she just had a really really crazy experience and something like there was a rhythm inside of me that was like all right maybe that's the answer Like maybe that has the answer for me. Maybe that's what I've been searching for to kind of figure this whole thing out. And something about the retreat center and ayahuasca in general, you have to be sober off of all substances for, I think it's 14, 14 days before you go, or maybe a month. I can't remember. Maybe it was 30 days before you go. And you also had to follow a specific diet because there are some things like salt and spices and different oils that make it harder for you to be connected with ayahuasca, I guess. And so of course me being like the most 
extreme individual ever. I was like, okay, instead of doing this for 30 days, I'm going to do it for like 60 days before I go. So I grinded at Zola. I saved a bunch of money. I did the diet. I got sober, which I hadn't been sober in a while. And then, um, yeah, I got my passport. That was the first time I'd ever been out of the country. And I was like, going to the Amazon jungle. Like I'm going to the Amazon jungle. I was doing all this research and I was, everyone had been talking about how it's like the God molecule and you'll meet God and DNA and all of this crazy stuff. And so I had really high expectations of what it was supposed to be like, which I highly recommend for anyone who is going to go on some sort of ayahuasca or like plant medicine journey. I mean, life in general, like if you get too attached to your expectations of what something is supposed to be like, you miss entirely what it is a lot of times. So I, so I want to backtrack because it's, because we're going very fast and I'm still very interested, but I want to go back and, and hear about the support system you had when your dad was going through that experience. What was it like? to be so young and be in that position? Um, so when my dad passed away, so I graduated from high school. I had my graduation party in like July. Shortly after my graduation party, he went in for open heart surgery to replace a couple of valves in his heart. So, okay. um, I was just starting out college and I was going to a community college at that point. And so I was still living at home because it was only about 30 to 40 minutes away. And um, most of my extended family lives in West Virginia. And so it's just like our immediate family. So I have an older brother, a younger brother and a younger sister. My older brother was out of the house at the time. And my younger brother and sister were still in middle school and high school. And it was a week I think it was a week exactly after my dad passed away that my mom um, kicked me out of the house. And so why we, um, my mom and I have had a more challenging relationship most of my life. I mean, it's not like excessively challenging, but a lot of times we would butt heads and my dad and I got along really well. Um, and then she was going through, I mean, her and my dad had been together since 17. And so she obviously was handling it in the way she was. And there was, there were a couple of things that she was doing the week after my dad passed away that I just like, it crossed a line for me where I was like, that's unacceptable. And, um, I, I confronted her about it because I was like, this is not, this is not how, like, this is unacceptable behavior. Like dad just passed away, all this stuff. And she, instead of, you know, confronting it with me, cause I was pointing out very truthful things. Um, she just pushed it away. She couldn't deal with it. And she told me to get out because she didn't want to face Damn. what she was doing. Yeah. So at 18, my dad had just passed away and now just starting college, I had to like figure out, okay, rent this, that. And so I ended up moving closer to school and my mom didn't really want me hanging out with 
my younger brother and sister. She thought that I wasn't like a good influence because I was really, I mean, I was really angry, but I also like was 18 and I just lost my dad and I just got kicked out of my house. Like I, I was too scared to feel vulnerable and receive love and support from people because when you're vulnerable or when you receive love and support, you know, that's a vulnerable feeling. And then you have to kind of open up and feel what's inside of you, you know, in order to really receive that love. And I just was so terrified to really experience how broken hearted I was. Like I didn't, I didn't trust myself to experience that kind of pain. So um, I moved in with this girl and like my dad, I think passed away on a Saturday and I just went right back to college on Monday, like just trying to like, Oh my God. You know, like disassociate, like that didn't happen. Like, I'm just going to keep, keep going. And people were like, Oh, like, how was your weekend? And I was like, Oh, like I just hung out with my family all weekend. Like, Oh my God. No way. Yeah, literally, literally. And so I was just like completely pressing it all down, disassociating, and then just like letting kind of anger fuel me instead of feeling sadness. Because a lot of times, you know, anger is just a cover for like fear or sadness. And so I, there was this girl that I became friends with in one of my classes, and she was trying to move closer to the college. And so we just got a, apartment together. And we lived there for about, I would say eight months, and then she couldn't afford it. And so I ended up moving in with like a boyfriend. Who that was just that that whole time period is just like, absolutely insane. Like when I really think about it now, I just, you can see so much pain in my life and what I was doing, because I was just trying to destroy everyone around me because I felt so much in pain. Like I was so broken, you know, and being that broken, you just, I don't know. Like that was my first experience with Adderall actually. Um, There was this guy that he was one of my friends and he was like, Oh yeah, I've been using this to study, blah, blah, blah. Um, The only thing I don't like about it is I can't sleep on it. And I was like, okay, like where can I find some? Because in the night I would have these vivid dreams of my dad. And like I said, I had no spiritual or any sort of foundation to me. And he'd be sitting down with me and he would be asking me like, how are you doing? Like, how's your mom doing? Like, how, like, what are you doing to process this? Like very direct conversations with me. And I would just wake up like screaming because I would wake up and I'd be like, that was just a dream. Like that wasn't real, you know? And so I would wake up screaming and just, it was horrible. And so I started taking Adderall. So I would not sleep for like a couple days in a row, just be up all night writing like crazy dark poetry. <laughs> crazy. And then I would crash. For I want to hear hours. some of your poetry, but oh, we have a little bit of a delay. It, it makes yeah. my heart. I, I feel a little like, I feel that, that that's, I mean, I think, I mean, hindsight's helpful. Like you can look back on that time and you can kind of realize where you were, but in the moment, rough all the way around. Yeah. Super rough. Like I, I would crash for like 24 hours and I would be dead asleep. 
you know, I wouldn't have any dreams. And to this day, every once in a while, I'll have dreams about my dad, but definitely not like they were before. Because I just was like, we're not doing this. That's yeah, it's, so that, that must have been scary, too, to be like seeing your dad just like you, you just saw him and now having in like pretty intense conversations with him. Yeah. Well, and one of the craziest times was when um, I had this dream about my dad and he was like, all right, like I'm going to go visit your mom now, like, and make sure she's okay. And the next day she called me and she was like, your dad was in my dream last night. And I was like, no way. That's crazy. That's crazy. Do you, do you believe that there is the, the, the energy that he is continues to exist and surrounds your family? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I feel him every there are times when I think of a really funny joke and like, I can just feel him in the presence. Like, cause I, I can be pretty witty and so was he. And there were times where it didn't always work, but I could be witty enough to kind of like get myself out of trouble because he would crack up. Like he couldn't help but crack up. Sometimes he would crack up and like still, you know, lay down the law after, but there were times where he was like, girl, you're funny, but like, you don't start developing a filter, you're going to get yourself into trouble. So you are funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like your dad. He sounds cool. Yeah, he's very cool. And so when it comes to the support system, I was just like a chaotic storm, you know? And like my friends really tried. I had two really good friends at the time and they really tried their best. Like right after high school, my dad died and my best friend, her parents got a divorce and it had like come out at her graduation party that he had been having an affair no. for like 15 years. And my other friend got diagnosed with um, Crohn's disease. And so yeah. the three of us, you know, and like I was a raging storm. So, <laughs> so my friends would try Damn. to take care of me, but I would get blackout and just be like, they would try to help me and I would just be like, get away from me. Like, I hate you. Like, you don't love me. Like, stop. Like, just leave me, leave me alone. Just like, let me suffer in peace. Like, let me, you know? And there were definitely moments where in retrospect, my older brother and I talk about this because there were multiple times where like, I should or could have died like with the stuff that I was doing and I did it. So it's either that there's like a strong purpose out there or like my dad's like, there's someone out there that's like trying to protect me. Did, was that, was that thought that someone out there reinforced after your experience? My, just my brother and I have talked about that. Okay. Yeah. Were you raised in a religion? What did you say? Were you raised in a religion? No religion. My dad and my mom were both raised Christian. And then they decided, because um, my dad's main reason for not raising us religiously was like, well, first of all, he's very science-minded, super smart when it comes to math and science. Um, but he had a huge problem with all the hypocrites of the church 
like they're you know you go to church i mean hypocrites in general you are doing these things and then like in real life you're a different way so it would be it would be interesting to talk to him about all that now um so no i when i was growing up i thought like if you believed in god you basically believed in santa claus you know or like like you believe in jesus <laughs> you believe in santa claus <laughs> it's so aggressive but it's so hilarious yeah, because my dad, I mean, he would, I just took everything he said as like, you know, word. And he, so when he was 20, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had radiation treatment to cure, cure it. And um, so then he raised us because like heart disease and cancer, I guess, like run in the men of the McGrath family like they've all had something and of course they haven't had the best diets either so you know just there's correlations there but my dad ended up just doing a bunch of research and the research at the time was all about like how meat and dairy can cause cancer and so me and my siblings were actually raised like full full vegan like full yeah, like all like and not just vegan, like you know how veganism now it's like all these fake meat products and like yeah. this and that and like animal rights and my dad basically was just like, I don't want you guys to get cancer one day. So this is what we're gonna do. Like this is what I think this is what we're gonna do. And like all of our soaps, all of our detergents, everything was like all organic natural. We only drank spring water, we never drank wow. tap water. Like we it was and I grew up in like a farm town, you know, so that was unheard of in the nineties to raise your kid or like vegan. You guys were doing it before it was cool. Exactly. Exactly. So from a young age, like I was exposed to well, one, going because I'm not vegan anymore, but going against the grain. Like it caused it sparked a lot of um fear in other kids or something like that because I was like I wasn't doing what they were doing. And so they would always say some crazy stuff like, oh, I'm going to like blend up pepperoni and put it in your water. And I would just be like, the water is clear and pepperoni's not. So like, it's stupid. <laughs> well, the, the, the shit the kids say, I swear to God. No, I mean, come on. That's that? hilarious. So like being. What a, and like it's that, also mean. Like, uh. I know. To go against the grain and like stand firm, you know, like that's, that's how I was raised to be. And on top of that, I was exposed to like the idea of death, I think at a young age, because my dad, you know, he had radiation treatment, but it was actually the radiation that ended up killing him in the long run. Like that's because it started to calcify his heart and his lungs. And it got to a point where when I was in fourth grade, he had to get um, a valve replaced in his heart. And then like the scar tissue just kept developing in his heart and lungs so much that, okay. So my dad was like five eleven, like 160 pounds, you know, just like an average looking guy. Yeah. And he couldn't, he had to stop wearing his Carhartt coat when I was in high school from the parking lot into work because it was too heavy and he would get winded because his lungs were so calcified. Wow. Yeah. And so that's a first. Talking, yeah. Him talking about how, you know, like 
he would just give us statistics sometimes, like when he would have open heart surgery and I was in fourth grade and I was like, what are you like? I couldn't understand those kind of concepts. And he was like, you know, everyone dies. Like I'm going to die someday. Everyone dies. And you just have to accept it and move on. Like very, just like to the point. And so I remember in elementary school on the bus a couple of times, I like had damn near panic attacks thinking about what death was like really trying to think like what happens when you die. And my dad was always like, I don't know what happens when you die. All I know is, you know, the light just switches off and that was your time to live. He always said, Damn. live every day like it was your last. Cause one day you'll be right. Damn. Yeah. Your dad, I think, you said you're earlier in your extremist personality, right? I think I, I can yeah. see where you get that from a little bit. Um, and it, but it's also oddly forcing you to be emotionally, like very emotionally mature, maybe at that very, very young and steadfast. And it, it is teaching, it taught you all these really cool skills that you can kind of look back on and appreciate. But in the moment I can imagine you're just like, what is going on? Like as a kid trying to figure all this out, it's just like flying at you. I mean, it seems a little overwhelming at times. Right. And so we weren't raised with any sort of religion, you know? And so after he passed away, like there was nothing to catch me. Cause I feel like that's where spirituality and religion can really come through with like faith and just that support of like, okay, a soul goes somewhere or like, you know, just, it gives you some form of reassurance. And so then that just sparked the path of figuring it out for myself. And that's what led me to, you know, the ayahuasca journey. And that's what like, you know, just searching for spirituality, for meaning, for like, okay, what is going on? You're, I, I part of me is just like, I, I want to give you a hug. Like, like what a time, like what a life to have to go through a little bit. And then like to get in, like, I've never, I haven't lost really anybody that's, that's close to me. And, I, and I'm very thankful, but also a little bit fearful of that. Right. And it's, it's, I think it's cool to hear that you you found some spirituality through, I think, what may be unconventional in in today's world is it's everyone wants to be a Christian or a Catholic or whatever. Maybe maybe not so Catholic anymore, but um, everyone wants to be in that space because it's safe, right? And like trying Mm -hmm. to figure out on your own is is difficult and it's Mm -hmm. hard. And, And so we get to the point where you're searching for some sort of foundation and all these different substances and it's never really there. Yep. And ayahuasca shows up. Yes. So I'm like super, you know, chatty about how like, I'm going to go on this like crazy journey, like blah, blah, blah. Like I'm going to the Amazon jungle and I get on this like hand carved boat off of a bus hand carved out of like a tree trunk, <laughs> just a, just a motor boat. That's like hillbilly or a motor that's hillbilly rigged onto this, like tree carving basically. <laughs> <laughs> and these two Peruvians that are sitting in the boat with like these rifles. 
And I oh my God. looked at these guys with these rifles and I must have looked like kind of unnerved. And they were like, no, like, no worry. Not for human, for like crocodile. And I oh, was okay. Like, I was like, holy shit. I'm going to the Amazon jungle. Holy shit. <laughs> 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 I'm processing and I... Um, and getting on this boat, going down the Amazon river, just like the jungle beside me. And it's just like processing, like, okay, I'm going to the Amazon jungle. Like, here we go. Here we go. And, um, get there. Like it's a mile and a half, maybe two miles from where we docked off in the jungle to the actual retreat center. And there's no running water or electricity at the retreat center. Um, Mm. it's, it was really, really amazing because I didn't have my phone for a month. Didn't have to deal with any nice. sort of electricity, which after not being in it for a month, it's, it's quite loud. Like when you get back into it, you can hear or you can feel, you know, when you're in your house and the power shuts off and it gets super quiet and you didn't notice that all of that was on. Yeah. It's like that in reverse, like you're in the Amazon jungle with no electricity, just surrounded by nature. And then you go back into the city and it's like loud and just like the vibrational frequency is crazy in the city. But at this retreat center, the first day we get there, um, we each have our own little like room in, they're called tambos. And so it's like these three rooms that are separate but it's like a bedroom 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 you each have your own door um twin size bed a little desk a little shelf for your clothes and a little door for a back porch and there's a screen on the ceiling and then it's like branches and leaves as the roof and there's a mosquito net around the bed so you got yourself unpacked and everything and then the first day was something called the vomitivo Sounds exactly what it is. Say that one more time, please. Vomitivo. Okay. All right. Okay. It's a a purging where you're cleansing anything that's in your stomach. So you, so there was two meals a day. There was one at noon, which was like your breakfast and lunch. And then there was one at maybe like 6 PM was dinner. So this was before we had breakfast or anything. So your stomach was empty and they had these huge bowls of lemongrass water. So just a bunch of water with lemongrass and you would just go up to it and just chug these bowlfuls, chug, chug, chug. And you're basically simulating like you're essentially drowning yourself and forcing yourself to throw up. (laughs) So you're just chugging. This sounds terrible. And then people are just like throwing it all because it's just like water coming out and some stomach acid or whatever. But it's like to cleanse any sort of anything you have within your stomach out so that the ayahuasca can truly like sink into your body. I hate throwing up. I mean, mean, you're still sober at this point. This this sounds the worst. It was hilarious. I because what I saw in my head because I've just got I have a crazy imagination but I saw everyone throwing up in like slow motion to don't worry 
by Bob Marley. Like, don't worry. About <laughs> <laughs> everyone's just rolling up lemongrass water. <laughs> that is that is a beautiful timing to imagine that in the middle yes. of all of it. And so then we got split up into, so there was about 20 people there, I would say, and three of us were from the U.S. Everyone else, there was people from Italy, Australia, um, different parts of Europe, um, Norway, like just everywhere, that they were all there. How did, you, how did you find this thing, this friend, right? Yeah, this friend, you know, and she just told me about it, and That's I just right. looked it up online, and I was like, sick, I'm going to sign up for a month. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do that like i could go online right now and just find that that's insane that's yeah cool. it's the temple of the way of light and they also so they had like a maybe it was a 10-day intensive they had a month-long one a two-month-long and a three-month-long intensive so damn yeah i can't imagine doing that for three months but like i, can't. I mean yeah there were different so we got split up into two different groups and there were shamans there that only spoke Shipibo and a little bit of Spanish. They were like these just like beautiful people. They were so like, they were just like the best, even though you couldn't communicate with them, you could see the love pouring out, like the love and playful energy pouring out of their eyes. Like they knew a secret that they couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't ready <laughs> yeah exactly and so every single day um there was something called floral baths to cleanse the energetic aura around you and so they had these huge basins full of river water that had a bunch of beautiful flowers in it and you would sit in a chair and just in your like bra and shorts or swimsuit or whatever and they would pour this floral water over you and chant and sing to you and then you just sit out in the sun and dry um and then every two days we would have ayahuasca ceremonies so we did eight in one month <sighs> i don't ever want to taste ayahuasca ever again like it is sometimes when I taste really, really dark chocolate, I'll like gag and have to spit it out because it, it just has this like bitter earthy flavor that just reminds me of ayahuasca. And I'll literally be like, like I just can't. I'm good. Chocolate's yeah. ruined. Yes. So, okay. So every day of ceremony, you know, you'd have your breakfast or lunch at noon and then you wouldn't eat for the rest of the day. You'd just fast. Um, they advised you not to drink that much water just so you had an empty stomach. And then at 8 PM, we would go down to the, what was it called? Mahalo. It was like a screened in, um, gazebo almost, but with like a big grass mm. roof. And it was pretty big in diameter and it had a center pole in the middle and everybody had a mat that was on the outside of the circle with a pillow, a blanket, and a bowl next to you. And the yoga teacher would come and we would have yin yoga, which are you familiar with um, different types of yoga? I'm, I'm not. 
Okay, so yin yoga is, um, it's more of deep, deep stretching. So it actually stretches the fascia of your body. So a lot of times when we're stretching, it just stretches the top layer of your muscle because you're not really holding the stretch or like really breathing into it. So yin yoga is all about holding these poses for like five to 10 minutes. Oh my and God. It's nothing like there's no standing series or anything. It's mostly just like on the ground and you're holding these stretches and it's a mental game because your body is on fire with some of these like hip opening stretches that you're just there for like 10 minutes and you're just breathing through it, like releasing but it was all about Ow. opening your body up to let the medicine in. So then there, the, the attention to detail, it's all these little things that are adding like to make this experience that more, not just memorable, but I mean, impactful impactful. for the, for the medicine to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because that was part of like the preemptive stuff, but there was also different classes that were hosted throughout the day that you could go to, um, just for the integration of it as well. So that was really cool. Um, but you know, yin what yoga kind would of classes? End. um, there was like a painting, there was different yoga classes there. There was laughter yoga, which was so awkward and funny. You just force yourself to laugh in these different poses because laughter is healing. It was weird. Um, there were different. That is a little. That's a little. It's a little weird. Yeah. There were different meditative and like visualization type classes. A lot of it was just like art and different body movements and things like that. And are these Types mandatory classes, or are the, these are completely optional? Everything was optional. This sounds like a like a very intense spiritual cruise. Have you ever been on a cruise before? No. It's this is what like you have all these options for food that are all included with your package that you can go and like consume or drink or whatever, and right. you can have your fun. Um, and then you know there are the shows and the the parts that like you want to go to, like the 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 fancy dinner at the very end of the night or whatever. Uh, this sounds like that, but just for ayahuasca instead of for booze yeah like the cruise is actually your body <laughs> and the ocean is yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. so okay so this is kind of how the process went so you do the yin yoga and it was getting dark at that point in the amazon jungle there's no electricity so there was lanterns within the um Maloka, that's what it was. Maloka, that's what they're nice. called. And so the shamans would come and they would walk in with their lanterns and then they would sit there and start unpacking their medicine and everything like that. And it felt like they took forever because you're just like sitting there in anticipation. You're like, okay, like, here we go, here we go, here we go. And you <laughs> were advised to, or it was encouraged to set an intention before drinking the medicine. So like whatever the case, like, you know, trying to figure certain things out. And I don't remember, I only remember one of my intentions, honestly. And it was the fourth one, which I will tell you about the fourth ceremony. Cause it was like, <laughs> crazy, absolutely crazy. Okay. But I don't really remember my first three ceremony intentions, but you know, you go up there, they call you up one at a time. You go up there, you sit in front of the shaman and they're just like looking at you 
and then they pour the ayahuasca into the glass. And there were two, I think two different sized glasses. They were both like kind of like shot glasses, but one was a little bigger than the other. And then they would hand it to you. You know, you'd focus on your intention and then you would drink the medicine and then you would go back to your pad. So they strongly recommended, they were like, do not throw up for at least the first 45 minutes or else damn, it won't have set in. And like, you want to throw up as soon as it, as soon as it goes in your mouth. Like it is, I just can't. <laughs> I can't even think about it. Ooh. And so I'm just sitting there, like, I'm that, just trying, like, just breathing, like, all right, just keep this down, like, took a little tiny sip of water to try to wash the flavor out, but just, like, breathing, and then you're just waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting for it to, like, start settling in, and all of a sudden, because the shamans drink it, too, and then there's usually, like, I think there was one facilitator in there where they could speak Shipibo and English and Spanish, and they were just there to hold space and help you if you needed it. And like then all of a sudden the shamans would start like chanting and like beating the drum and singing and singing. And they would go around and move in a circle and sing to each person. And they, the facilitators always recommended for us to be sitting up during it to like really feel the full force of the chanting. And I like just blacked out for the first three ceremonies that I had, like was out like fast asleep, fast Whoa. asleep. And which was crazy because it's really hard to do, I guess, fall asleep. I mean, when you're tripping, it's kind of impossible to sleep. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I would wake up every once in a while, like in this, like just days. And I would feel the medicine in my body, like collecting, collecting, like going to different parts. And like, I would, you know, have like a sore knuckle or something or a sore hip and it would just take it and pull it into my stomach. And all of a sudden my stomach would be so bloated and I would just sit up, grab my bowl and just unload and purge, which was crazy because there was nothing in my stomach. There's no food. There's no water. I took like two ounces, maybe three of ayahuasca. And I was like purging out a whole bowl full of who knows what it is. And then I would just. How much puke is it? I mean, you have this bowl. It seems like it's like a small bowl, but I mean, is, are you like, are no, you puking like a, a pretty, like a good. Bigger than a cereal bowl. It's like a, like a. Okay. Smaller, medium, like baking bowl. Damn. Yeah, like to where it's like, sheesh. And then and to have yeah. nothing in your to have nothing in your belly is weird to me. Yeah, and to be where able is to this get coming from? I, yeah, good question. Good question. <laughs> to be determined. So, <laughs> so then I don't really like. I don't really really remember my first three ceremonies at all but i would wake up in the morning and everyone else would have these like crazy visual experiences or they would have like a lot of them had visual experiences and you know this one girl next to me and this was like a god moment this girl next to me she was my same age she's from canada and 
for up until that point, I had not let anyone really comfort me about my dad because I always was like, especially when people were like, oh, like my parent died, blah, blah, blah. Like, I know how you feel. I was like, no, you don't. Like, just, just totally blocked off thinking that like I had gone through the worst thing ever. No perspective, really. This girl, my same age, three years prior, her dad passed away from cancer. And a year and a half later, her mom got too drunk and fell down the stairs and broke her neck and died. Oh my God. And when she told me that I was like, like just God smacked, you know, to where it's like, Oh, you think you got it the worst. Look at what this girl's going through, you know, and she's an only child. And so that's all she had. So, Oh my God. (laughs) Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So that was one of those like moments where like a sobering moment where you're like, all right, like my, my pain is not that bad. Um, so anyway, she was having crazy, crazy ceremonies. And I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated because I was like, this is what I expected. Like, there's nothing happening. This was a waste, you know, like this. And people were like, you're purging. And so there's something like something is happening. Something is happening. You just don't understand what it is. And like in my head and like in my journal, I was journaling some pretty interesting things, like different realizations that would happen the next day or the day after. But in my head, I was, I had been so set on what it was supposed to be like that I was missing what it was. So I came in the fourth ceremony was the like midpoint. So you had your fourth ceremony and then there was a week break and then you had the next four. So my fourth ceremony, I was like, all right, this is bullshit. Like ayahuasca, like super disrespectful. I was like, ayahuasca, if you're even fucking real. Like if you, like if this is even, oh, wow. like, if you're as powerful as everyone says you are, then my intention is to release all of the pain associated with my dead passing. All of it. Get rid of it all. If you're really as cracked up as everyone says you are, like, let's see. Let's see. Oh, no. (laughs) And, like, I, like, that was the first ceremony that I, like, stayed focused. I, like, repeated it like a mantra. I was like, all right, like, release my dad's passing. Release, like, if you're, you what you say you are, like, release my dad's passing. That's my, like, over and over and over and over again. And I wake up. Like, that's the last thing I remember. And I wake up, and it's, like, dark. And the ceremony had ended, but everyone's just, like, asleep. And I'm on the floor. And I, like, wake up, and it's just a hard floor. And I was like, God, my body hurts. Like, where am I? What's happening? I was like, okay, I'm in the Maloka. Like, why am I on the floor? Where's my Where's my mat? Where's my blanket? Like, and it's like taking me a long time to just like process and like come to. And so I like kind of army crawl over to what I think is my mat, and I like put my hand down, and it's somebody's leg. And I was like, all right, this is my mat. And I go over, and I'm like, okay, there's my mat. I like go over to it, and there's my pillow, but my blanket's not there. And I'm just like laying there, kind of like shivering, and I'm just trying to figure out like where's where's my blanket? Like, why, why am I, why was I on the floor? Like, what's, what, what happened? What happened? 
So then I remember that there's like extra blankets on the middle part. And so I like army crawl. Cause like, you don't really have, like, you can't just like stand up and walk. Cause you're kind of like dizzy and you're just all crazy. Like everything feels like jello. So I'm like army crawling over to the middle and I like grab a blanket and I, and I, um, go onto my mat and I just like, I'm so curled up. And I was like, what, like, what is happening? What is happening? Like, what is happening? What happened? What happened? Like, I just felt, I was like, what just happened? Woke up the next morning and somebody like woke me up and they were like, Hey, like you should go back to your, um, just Tambo, you know, like chill. And they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, like, I think I'm okay. And they're like, okay. And then I'm walking back to the Tambo and there are these three women that were also in the same ceremony. And they're like, Jenna, are you okay? And I was like, I like, I don't really know. Like, I don't know what happened. And they were like, you, like this girl, Madison, that was next to me, because you had a headlamp for if you needed to go outside to the bathrooms to just go to the bathroom and you had to turn it on a red light. So you weren't bothering anyone else's experience with the white light. And she said that, like, she just heard, like, like, thumping and she was like what is that sound and she turned on her light and i'm just like thrashing like thrashing on the ground like heart is like coming up off the ground i'm just like slamming my head into the ground and like my chest keeps coming up and she was like it looked like you were having an exorcism like that's the only way i can describe it especially with my red light on and i was thrashing and like the guy next to me um august he thought that i was like stomping my foot into the ground like that's how loud it was he thought i was stomping my foot into the ground and i go to my room and i was like okay like what like what the fuck happened and i like go to my room and i'm changing out of my clothes and i look down at my arm for the first time and it's just covered in like this brown crust because when i was thrashing i like tipped over this girl's purge bucket and like thrashed it. Oh, uh, uh, no. So I go down to the showers, which is really just like <laughs> with these giant basins and like a bowl for you to just pour over yourself. Cause and I'm like washing off my body and I'm like looking at my shoulders and they're just raw. And my hips are just raw, like road rash. Like I got dragged across the floor. And, like, everything hurts. Like, my hips, my shoulders, my back was all messed up. And then, like, washing everything off. And there was one little tiny mirror in the bathroom. And so I, like, get out of the shower. I'm all dressed. And I, like, look in the mirror. And my face, like, this whole side of my nose was skinned off. My face was skinned off up here. And my chin was, like, totally raw from me just banging my face into the ground. Oh my god. Like insane. Insane. And I was shook. I was like, okay. So even if I don't understand what's happening, <laughs> even if I can't comprehend it right now, clearly, like clearly something's happening. Clearly it's doing something and I don't know what it is, but okay. Respect. You got it. (laughs) You told me, like, okay. 
And the way this girl was describing it, it's almost like, you know, something was trying to like pull this pain out of me. And I was like, not having it because it wasn't, you have to go through a process to release your pain. It's not just like a one, one time thing. Like that's, there's no quick fix to emotional pain like that. So clearly like I wasn't prepared to let it all go. And so it's like, just, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. So after that, I was like, all right, just going to chill. I'm just going to chill. And then my last, the like <laughs> three after that, I, it was just like very, I just would fall asleep again, was out, would purge. There were a couple of times where I had to like army crawl to the bathroom with my bucket and I would be just purging north and south, same time. Ugh. And I remember being that's in, the worst. Yeah, being in the bathroom and just kind of like this kind of feeling of like, okay, like what is like what is real? What is real? Like if this is really happening right now, then like what is real and what's not real? Because this feels real. <laughs> this feels like it's really happening right now. <laughs> so that was that was a crazy thing. But the fourth or the eighth, the last ceremony. So the fourth one and the eighth one, stuff happened for me. Um. The last one, the facilitators were really like, hey, like, do your best. Because I, like, couldn't stay awake or, like, couldn't wake up for the shamans to sing directly to me. The eighth one, you know, they were like, you know, they're going to sing energetic armor onto you because we were going to leave and, like, head out into the world. And so we were so raw and open spiritually because of everything that we were going through that they were going to sing energetic armor onto us. And the songs are called Icaros. Icaros. And if you look up the Icaro pattern, it's like this crazy pattern that they will hand sew into their garments. And it's, they say it's like the song of the universe and it's printed in everything. So that's what they sing to us. Um, and it got that's around cool. like and Maria, that was her name. She was one of the shamans. She got to mine my mat and I just like sat up out of a dead sleep sat up I was sitting there she was singing to me and I just like felt the most love I've ever felt in my life like my heart was going to burst and then I laid down and I just like kept thinking about everyone who loves me and how I love everyone and just like my heart felt super soft and then I fell back asleep and then second time segundo came around the male one. And I just, again, sat up, like just full force sat up. Boom. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting on my, you know, on my shins, kind of on my knees and he's singing and he's singing and he's singing. And I like, he, it felt like he, there's no other way to describe it. It felt like he was the way he was chanting and how intense he was. He got louder and louder. He was like pulling something out. And I could feel it rising up. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up right in front of this guy. Like, how embarrassing. He's right here. I'm so concerned about, like, what is he going to think? But he's literally the one doing it. That's cool. I couldn't hold it anymore. Grab my bucket. Like, just projectile. Like, it was a force that came out of me. And then I, like, sat back in front of him. And he, like, tapped my legs. And he was like, piernas. Piernas. And I was like, piernas. Piernas. 
feet. That's feet in Spanish. Because I took like three years of Spanish in high school. So it's like locked away in there. Piernas. Okay. So I like bring my feet out and I put him in front of him and he, he's not touching my feet, but he goes and something, I kid you not like dislodges from inside my brain. Like I like something like came out, flew down through my body. And as soon as it came out of my feet, he spat. And I was like, whoa, yeah, super, super weird. So then after that, I like laid down. And I was laying on my side and all of a sudden I like could feel it. I was like, my dad's here. And I looked over my shoulder and he had, he was squatting down next to me, my dad. And he had his hand on my shoulder and he was like, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I love you so much. And then I fell asleep. Yep. I just put tears in my eyes. It was crazy because he, like, he was, it wasn't like a shiny ghost or like a hologram looking. It was like he was there sitting next to me like he was there in real life. It was wild. Yeah, so that was. Uh, How did that feel? I mean, listening to it makes me want to cry. I mean, God. Like. Yeah, it did- was like the biggest relief like came over me to where I was like, like, okay, he's here. Like I may not, it was just interesting what the whole, the whole month, like the, the main lessons are like, you don't have to understand things for them to be, you might not have the bigger picture and you can't, you can't just, force your way through pain and letting it go it has to be an organic process or else you just won't be ready at the end of it you know even though you don't understand like why or where your dad is he's still with you and he's still proud of you yeah that was the that's insanely powerful yeah. Yeah. All of that. I mean, mm-hmm. from the lesson that you learned to for what it did for you that that I think both the concept you can take for the rest of your life mm-hmm. that to be patient and allow things to happen organically, mm-hmm. not having expectations and how it could potentially ruin the experience, whatever that may experience may be. Right. And knowing that your dad is still there mm-hmm. and he's and the, the, the way you say like, I'm proud of you and I love you. Like those, you say them with such force, but like such care and love mm-hmm. that it's, you can't not feel that you can't not like That's we're on a, 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 we're on a call and I can feel that, you know, like yeah. you're not in the room and I can feel that. Mm-hmm. It's just so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so fast forward, you know, coming home, like turn my phone on 
and I could feel like I could feel the motor running in my phone. Like I could feel the energy of it. I could feel like I've always been really empathic. Like ever since I was a kid, I could feel what other people were feeling. And I had to get like socially aware to not be like calling it out, you know, like talking to them about what they were feeling without them first <laughs> sharing with me what they were feeling. Cause people will get really defensive about it. So I learned not to just call that stuff out, but I am extremely energetically sensitive. Like I can feel things. And so when I came into the city, just like, it was an insane, I can't even describe it, like power where it's like, okay, there's a lot going on. People are going everywhere. Like, where's everyone going so fast? Like we're just on this planet, but like, where's everyone going all the time? Everyone's rushing everyone's rushing where are people going like i'll just sit and watch people but i went thank god i didn't go back to working as zola because i feel like i would have like i was too sensitive and fragile to be in that kind of like fast-paced environment and i started a job working at a school as um i was a camp counselor at first and then they needed a spot filled as like an assistant PE teacher during the school year. So I did that and like being around kids energy because, you know, with ayahuasca, that was a teacher, that was a lesson, but I also progressed in like plant medicine where I wasn't necessarily integrating the lessons in my life. I was utilizing the plant medicine as like the catalyst, you know, and that can get dangerous and spiritually arrogant because you're depending on then. Cause I did a few more ayahuasca ceremonies in like Ann Arbor, Michigan. There was a shaman that I found in a group of people and then like mushrooms and things like that. And so I still wasn't like rooted down. I was still up in the clouds like all the time. But being around kids, it reminded me of like the childlike energy that I that I always had, that I had been missing through all of the pain after my dad died. So I was working with these kids and fast forward like five years into it, into me working at the school. Meanwhile, like don't have as much anger, still like edgy, still hadn't really let myself feel the sadness of my dad's passing. Like I just kind of like compartmentalized and like kind of moved on and tried to move on with my life. So I'm working at this school and there's this family. Um, they have a, it, he was four at the time. And um, the other son was, I think 12, maybe they had a pretty big age gap, but you know, sometimes I would babysit for families and hang out with their kids, um, but I had never babysat for this specific family. We get called into a staff meeting and the um, counselor said that this kid's dad passed away in a small plane, like freak accident in California. And um, like was on a business trip and he passed away. And I felt like I felt it. I felt myself like come up. 
and just not like numb, just not feel anything. And as soon as I felt myself do that, I was like, no, like you can't disassociate from like this kid. It's a kid. Like you can't do that. And so I took a deep breath and I came back in and I just started like sobbing, just crying for this family, crying for this kid, crying for both the kids being like, I know what you guys are going through. Like, that's so sad for you. That's so sad for your family. And then I got home and I was like, it was, it was so sad. Like for me, it was so sad for my family. It was so sad for my mom. And like, it hit me. And I kid you not, I cried for like two weeks straight, two weeks, like just couldn't stop crying all the time. And I was just clearing it out. Like I was finally feeling like the sadness, like letting myself, allowing myself to feel the sadness that I had just bottled up for so long. And at the end of this two week period, I'm journaling and I'm writing about how, you know, maybe, maybe there's a blessing in the suffering you go through and, you know, you can use it as, you know, a you know, victim mentality, like this is happening to me, like, woe is me. And just let it completely collapse you. Or you can choose to see it as a path of service. Because you go through this suffering, whether it's inflicted or not, like you're going to suffer in life. And if instead you look at it from a path of service, like, okay, I'm going through this um, deep, like, like I'm going through this, um, this deep suffering and because I'm going through it and I'm getting through it, I'm going to be able to serve other people that are going through this kind of suffering. Like the only way for me to truly connect with these kids now and support them in this is because I went through it myself. So suffering you can just translate it into the service of others. Finished my journal entry and I close my journal. As soon as I close my journal, my phone starts ringing and it's this number I don't recognize. I answer the phone and it is these two boys' mom. I had never given her my number before. She said she'd called the school um, to get my number And she was like, I need, like, I, I just need some support and I need some help right now with, cause like, I need just a break from my kids right now to just deal with everything that's happening. And I was like, okay, like I would be more than happy to. And I told her, I was like, I don't, I don't know if you realize this or not, but my dad died in 2010 and you're calling me right now you know, and so this is just a really powerful experience for me. And I ended up nannying for her for like a year and a half, two years. And like just being the rock of their family, because there were so many times there was this time that this um, older son and the mom just got in this huge fight and he tried to leave. And I was like, do you mind if I just talk to him? Because I was mostly just hanging out with the little toddler, because the other kid was 12. But I was like, do you mind if I just like, talk to him. We go upstairs and I'm just sitting there on his bed. And, and he was like, he was just so angry. And I just looked at him and I was like, I know this fucking sucks. Like this sucks 
sucks. And it's like okay to be angry and it's okay to be sad. Like there's no right way of going about this, but just like let it out. If you need me to hold this pillow and like you hit this pillow, you want to have like a scream off with me, you want to cry, like whatever. And he just burst into tears. And so I'm just sitting there like holding space for him. Like didn't hug him, didn't anything. I just like sat there on the bed and just like breathed and like held space for him to just release it all. So there were moments like that with the mom too, where I had a whole different understanding for what my mom went through, like just a whole different perspective. And I ended up helping them because they, after the two years they were there, they ended up moving to New York um, to be closer to some of her family. And so I ended up helping them move their entire house to New York, helping them unpack and like crazy, but just like a rock through all the transition period to serve them in their time of suffering. It's crazy how life works out the way it does. I mean, I I don't know that I can say anything more than that. You know, it's just, it, Mm -hmm. it, life has a really, weird way the universe whatever it may be you know you call him god you call it buddha you call it whatever it may be the universe has a really weird way of taking care of us i think in Mm -hmm. general we're all being guided in a really beautiful direction and the worldly things are so easy to to get blinded by, but the little things like being able to have relationships and and what those relationships, those interpersonal relationships, and then those relationships that you get to share with, with others and, and serve, that's more valuable than anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just have to like slow down enough to experience it. Cause you know, the world is so full of distractions and just like kind of feels like, um, like infusing anxiety and fear all the time in this world. Um, there's just always an infusion, like whether it's through social media, the news, this, that there's just like this push and it can really, make you black out emotionally and like miss, miss life. And so through all of this, I've just really learned how to like, just appreciate and slow down and just like look at life in a completely different way. Cause one, like all the lessons my dad taught me about, you know, live every day. Like it was your last. Cause one day you'll be right. You know, you can't take anything for granted, especially because he he passed away when he was 46. That's it's young. And that's too yeah, young. Right. And another thing that he always like imparted on me was I would get I would get really emotional and like upset about stuff. And he was like, Jen, you gotta take a deep breath and relax. Just take a deep breath and relax. And so that's something that I've like cultivated into my life, especially through yoga is just like proper breathing. 
Like sometimes things feel like they're really intense in life and maybe they are, but maybe they aren't, you know, maybe you're making them out bigger, but either way, your anxiety and stress about it is not necessarily like, it's not the majority of the time. It's not serving you in that situation and just getting in the way. So if you just take a deep breath, which creates space between you and the situation and you and reacting to it, and it helps your mind settle, you know, cause if you have a, you have a jar of water and sand and you, you know, you shake it up and then you set it down and the water's swirling, the sand is swirling. That's like your mind on anxiety. And so you can't see, you can't see, even though it's a clear, clear glass, life and chaos is just shaking you up. But if the glass sits still long enough, the sand will settle and you'll be able to see clearly through it. And that's exactly how life is. Sometimes you just have to like still yourself, take a deep breath and like just process what's happening because it's going to reveal itself and it's going to become clear. You just might not see it in the moment. I think that's information that I think we all need. That's a, that's a mm-hmm. note that I think I, we should all sit with for some time and and something that I definitely, you know, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the rat race and it's this idea of of having to move so fast, which is part of the reason that I really wanted to to do this, this thing really wanted a podcast. It was like you get two people together or a group, you know, whatever it may be, but you get to sit down with people and just talk. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a science experiment, quote unquote. Like, is, is it's is my, my doors are closed. My lights are on. The earphones are in. Like, it's this like nice little comfy little place right. that we get to sit and share and learn and slow down. I, you, mm-hmm. you can't see any light coming inside this room. That's the idea. Like, right. Slow it down. We're here. And you have to be here. You know, you have to be here. And the things that we can learn from each other are just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. And you, like, I also think you see how beautiful people are. Like, there's, if you never give anybody any time or any credit and like, just, you just, oh, they're this way or they're mad today or they're whatever. You don't really ever get to learn about why, who they mm-hmm. are. I mean, I'm sure that there was people at that time that you were crossing paths with. They're like, man, Jenna's, Jenna could be a real bitch sometimes. I don't know, man. Jenna Little did they know. They, listen, they don't, they didn't call me, <laughs> they didn't call me Bloodbath McGrath for nothing. <laughs> Bloodbath McGrath. All right. Hell yeah. That's something. It but works. Yeah, I think also, like, I think slowing down, but with intention is important because a lot of times people can also get complacent and, you know, lazy or, you know, slow down and then just not not have intention behind it. And then it becomes an excuse, you know, cause some things should be done with urgency, but when you slow down, even in your interactions with people and you really stop to think, cause like if you're getting triggered 
by something someone says and you're mad at them about it, but they can't control how you feel. Something within you is triggered by that. And you can only control one person in this world. And that's you, if you're lucky. So you can control your breathing. And your breathing, when you control your breathing, you can have more control over how you react or respond to people. You can control who you interact with. You can control what you listen to. You can control what you eat, what you drink, who you surround yourself by. You know, you can control all the micro in your day when it comes to what you're choosing to do, what you're choosing to expose yourself to. So it's like, it's high time for us all to just start taking responsibility for that, you know, because everyone wants to point fingers and control other people or like, oh, it's this fault. It's this fault. This It's this fault. But okay, so what are you doing though? To start building momentum in your life, you know? All those little details matter. I think it's because that rat race exists, it's so easy to forget. Like, you know, it's the, the, the work party or the work thing that's going, you mm-hmm. have, you feel like you have to go. Cause if you're not there, then the reputation isn't there. Or like this, these like weird made up pressures that, that don't really exist. Right. And you could go home and spend time with your dog or your family and get a more value, have a more value experience. If that's what you want in your life, right? Having that intention right. supporting that decision is the important piece there. It's like, if my intention is to build relationships at work, then yeah, it makes sense to go out, right? It makes sense to do those things. If my intention is to be healthier, but I continue to choose um, the shittier food and the constant alcohol, and then, then obviously there's something there, right? We got to work on right. either... I'm not disciplined enough or, and, and I need to figure out why or what my, what do I really want? What, what right. am I, what are the standards that I'm willing to accept for in my life? And I like that idea. It's, I, I, I'll never forget. I, I, I continue to, I hate doing laundry. It's like the worst thing in the world. So I kept on putting my clothes on the bed, finish washing, drying, and then they're sitting on the bed. And I started just like pushing them off to the side. I was like, I'll just lay next. I'm, I'm fine. I'll just do it later. In the middle of it, I was like working in like more than I, I don't know, probably should have. Like I was, that's all I did. I just, I worked from five to like five to probably six or seven at night. And then I'd go to the gym and then I'd finish at the gym at like nine or 10, get to the house and then cook clean. I'm not in bed until midnight or later. And then up at the next, I had my first session at five 30 in the morning. So I had to be up at four 30. Right. And so it's like, I could, I continue to accept this one lifestyle and, and two the, the laundry on the bed. And then finally I looked at one day and I was like, man, I've been letting myself just lay next to this thing mm-hmm. for this long. What am I doing? This is the standard of life that I'm willing to live. This is right. sad. I'm not proud of this. Cause your identity is not what you think you are. Your identity is what you allow. You know, and so we're allowing ourselves to have those kind of habits, like we're allowing it to happen, you know, and that it's like, it doesn't matter who you think you are or what you want. Like, what are you allowing into your life? Like, what's your standard? And you brought up a really interesting point because it's like with the rat race and everything, 
our whole society is not geared like we are programmed to you know follow suit we're programmed what to think not how to think and we're not programmed with any sort of um like depth or intention when it comes to our education system it's all just like okay you're learning this so you can pass this test you're learning this so you can pass this test you're passing this test so you can get to college you're going to college to get a degree so you can get a better paying job but maybe that job has nothing to do with your degree they just you know you just have a degree but you're yeah. through all of that you're not learning any emotional intelligence you're not learning any um spiritual intelligence you're not really learning nutrition you're not learning optimal physical education like imagine i mean it it just floors me with the pe programs in this country because there's so much a human body like who knows what the potential is for the human body but what if from a young age from like kindergarten you started kids in a school system like the PE program had Brazilian jiu-jitsu it had yoga it has American Ninja Warrior obstacle courses like parkour things where you're using your whole body there's rock climbing courses there's different like fighting styles you know self defense imagine what those kids would be like just from that alone kindergarten to 12th grade fucking champions that's what they would be warriors and now imagine yeah. these same kids instead of learning the academic 8 hours a day in a desk on a two dimensional book with the teacher talking at them they're learning in a project based way cuz why are we learning these things what is the point there's not really a lot of points it's like to pass this test that's why we learn the way we do and it's just I'm telling you this information you're accepting it and you're doing it but there's no practical application of it and so there's not a good enough why for it to be retained so imagine if as a kid while you're learning fractions you're also learning how to bake and add up the different things imagine learning carpentry with math So you're learning how to build your desk, you're learning how to build a chair, but you're also using the math practice behind it. Through biology, you're learning how to garden and compost and grow your own food and the best soils for which plants. In chemistry, you're learning how to make your own household care products like shampoo, conditioner, lotion, soap, and you're also learning how to make household cleaning products. There's an archery course that could be combined with meditation and breath work to focus. there is gun safety because it's important to have there's a driving course and a basic mechanics there's sewing there's cooking there's like everything that you're going to need financial literacy history what i want to do is have a theater and drama based constitution class so you're reenacting the different stuff with the constitution so that one you're learning confidence and stage presence and you're learning your rights as an american imagine combining all that together from kindergarten to 12th grade 
you have people who are leaving the school system prepared. Exactly. And if, cause that's, that's what happened. That's also part of my process is I've always wanted to be a teacher. Always. Like I, my whole life, I had a little whiteboard when I was younger and I would come home from school and like teach my little brother and sister what I learned that day. Like I taught them how to write in cursive before they could really write. <laughs> and wow. Through high school, like I knew I wanted to go to college to be a teacher, and I just, I just hated every single class. I'm like, I don't want to teach any of this because what's the point of learning all this? Why are we learning this? Oh, for college. Like, okay, then what? Like, why are we learning this? So after my dad passed away, I was like, okay, maybe I'll teach like a, a life course. Maybe it'll be like how to process things. And then that developed into me getting my yoga certification learning how to do different breath work and yoga poses. And that helped me process a lot of things. So I was like, maybe I'll teach yoga to kids. Maybe I'll do this. And it just didn't quite encompass everything. Like I was like, there's still something missing. And then COVID happened and everything shut down and it hit me. And I was like, okay, if who knows what could happen in this world, but if, that was enough to shut down society where like you couldn't really go to stores. You couldn't do all this stuff. And I was like, if, if, if we're that reliant on all this stuff, all these big companies, a lot of people can't grow their own food. A lot of people don't know how to hunt, you know, all of these different things, foraging, that kind of thing. Most of the population would be wiped out if, you know, if the grid were to collapse or if something were to happen, a global pandemic again, and like all of our rights are stripped from us, how do we survive? And so I was like, I need to open a school that will teach you all of these survival skills and home skills with academia, but also train these kids as warriors because they'd be more confident. They'd have so much confidence in their body because they can do so much stuff and then by the time they're 18, it's a whole new generation of Americans at that point. So that's my idea for a school. And I want to duplicate it all across the country. Let's do it. I, I am about it. I am all supporting in any way that I possibly can. Yes. Like, it would be so sick. Because it's just, it is a complete, like, I don't even have words to describe how disappointed I am in the disservice of our education system to this country and to the youth. Unimpressed. So I obviously wouldn't get state funding because their standard is way below what mine is. I've seen what the PE teachers look like in this country. And like even chess yes. courses, like them learning how to play chess, them learning philosophy, different. Also, journalism. How did you critical thinking research? How to poke holes in things? Like, okay, so, you know, the world, um, the, you know, American Heart Association, they, you know, came all out during COVID and the pandemic, and they really pushed, you know, the vaccine. And, who is one of their biggest donors? Pfizer. So it's like doing that kind of research and being like, okay, yes, this article says this, but who is the one donating all the money? What is it actually saying? 
like even like Pepsi and Coca-Cola have been huge donors to the American Heart Association. But how? How is that what's funding our health in this country? You know, and so teaching that kind of stuff in an indirect way so that you have critical thinkers coming out of school, that they can think for themselves and they're not going to get taken advantage of by the mob mentality, by all this stuff, they can think to themselves like, okay, you know, will a chain link fence protect my yard from mosquitoes? No. So probably cloth won't protect me from a minuscule little thing either. Don't want to get too far into it right now. (laughs) (laughs) How do you really feel, John? I don't know what the hot topics are. I mean, you're in Texas, so it's all good. It's all good over there probably. But I think specifically where I'm at, it, it is, it, it's pretty good. Um, I think throughout the entire thing, we did all right. But I think that even then, I mean, if you go further down south, like my grandma and my, my parents, there's this you know, huge, like she, my grandma still won't leave her house. And in my, in my opinion, I'm like, yes, I understand that, you know, she's stage three or stage four kidney failure. Um, so she is more susceptible to being sick in um, general. Sick in general, so she's not likely to leave. But it became like she's like I'm not like doesn't want to go to. She goes to church, but it's like church and home. Like it, it, church. Uh, she used to like she used to be a part of the Happy Hookers Club, uh, where they did crocheting, which I think is the most hilarious name for a bunch of old ladies getting together to to crochet together, um, and she she is no longer around them right and so it's i think that you, more, we like, are community based species right exactly exactly right the and isolation and the fear that's what like that's what kind of blew my mind open cuz i saw it like at first i was like ooh this has never happened before like this is kind of crazy this is unprecedented what is going on here But since I was so programmed from a young age about health and what goes into your body, I kept wondering why, like, okay, so they're mandating this, they're pushing this, they're not letting you go outside, which fresh air and sunlight, that's good for you. They're doing all these things, but they're not, they're not also sharing like, Hey, we can improve our health and well-being, our immune systems and this and that with these things. And so I was like, what is going on? And then when like Hollywood and celebrities were pushing all this stuff, I'm like, what is there? Like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Doesn't check out. Why aren't we talking about health, right? Why aren't we talking about vitamins? And I think like, and it's never a thing. It's never ever talked about. And I think that in the, the fitness industry is, I think, I think it's so easy to use something for profit rather than look at it and just like oh there there's a systematic change that needs to happen here like let's recognize that and then let's talk about it and the more you talk about it the more likely you're gonna see some change you're gonna see people like oh shit you're right maybe i should do some more research right right? or maybe uh, people will create programs and education systems that allow people to go somewhere and learn how do i squat how do i do a Mm push-up how do i do these things and do them well how do I cook for myself? Right. I think it starts, I think fitness is where it all starts, right? If, if we could teach people how to move their body and get comfortable within themselves and they start to, I think it makes people more 
proprioceptive and more aware, more self-aware. You start to recognize you, you, you cannot get away from feeling sore, right? There, it's, it's mm-hmm. you, you wake up and you're like, oh shit, I'm sore. Oh shit. I worked out and then I drank and then I'm more sore. Hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. if I drink, I'm going to, it's maybe not good for my body. I don't like feeling sore, right? Maybe I did because soreness we understand is, is uh, a lot of hydrogen atoms that are broken out and now made the, the uh, tissue acidic, right? And so that's what we're feeling that like, um, we're feeling that as soreness and it's, it's a damage to the tissue. And at that point we have done, if maybe, you know, you have DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. We, we know that there's an excess amount of damage that's happened. So you can self-regulate and, but it's just understanding those little things. And now, okay, now, now I understand if I eat cleaner and then I move a little bit, then I still, I start feeling better throughout the day and I'm treating people a little bit nicer and I'm not so impatient. And like mm-hmm. it, I think that it's really cool where the fitness and like the fitness industry is doing well right now. In my opinion, uh, I don't, I don't know actually numbers. It could be, it could, we could be doing absolute shit for all I know, but in my opinion, from what I see on TikTok and social media, it's booming. It's yeah. everywhere. Everyone's yeah. working out and doing the thing. And it's, there is a movement. It's just now right. how do we capitalize on that movement? And the, the most wild thing is, is at the end of the day, the things that society or like mother culture, I like to call it, like the just the weird programming that comes through is all about like just being unconscious, you know, just like watch these shows, brain numbing, eat these foods that are just processed and that are going to numb you out. And just everything is so numbing. And so the biggest like, form of rebellion through this time is fitness and taking care of yourself and thinking for yourself and doing all these things and taking sovereignty back because they're pushing it seems like they're like there's so much junk out there whether it's tv social media food like the music industry like there's so much junk that clogs you all up and when you start doing exercising when you start going outside when you start like drinking more water when you just take care of your basic necessities you end up feeling a lot better and then your mind becomes more clear and so then you have more sovereignty and awareness over your choices because if you're just numbed out and you're not you're you're not getting enough oxygen to your brain or your heart's not working very well anything like that you're just not going to feel as good and so you're not going to have the motivation or the wherewithal to even make a change, you know? And so the, the, like, I am all, I mean, I love this country and I just think that we could be a hell of a lot better. <laughs> and so to do those things, I'm, like fitness, for sure, all of it. And that's why I'm like, okay, start, start them young. Like, here we go here we go, like start them at that age so that by the time they get to adulthood, they're ready. And that could make like real, real lasting change. Being able to train kids and see the impact that we can make was probably one of the coolest things that I ever got to do. And I I was the, I I coached a kids camp. We called it the young gentleman's camp. 
and it was i had one for it's nice Uh, so we had one for uh, young gents for young boys and then we started to try one for for, the young ladies camp um and the goal was to teach um high character high values and um confidence and you know all all these really cool things i think what was kind of difficult with that situation is because it was at a country club is a very a very private country club um there wasn't much access to everybody to that service, right? To that, to that knowledge. Um, but it was cool to see a working with a kid or like I had one kiddo that was, he would walk from his, from, from the camp home cause he lived in the, the country club area. And so a couple of times I was like, well, I'm like, I'm not going to just let you walk around. I'm going to walk, you know, I'm going to walk with you. And he didn't have a dad or his, his dad had, had moved out. And so we would, he'd ask me questions about alcohol and about smoking and about drugs. And I was like, I am playing the role of a father and the things that I say can make such a big difference in this kid's life or seeing another kid whose mom was going through cancer and everyone was like, he's always so mean. And, but nobody understood, Oh, he's maybe because he goes home and he's watching his mom die and it's nonstop. And she's now she's, she beat cancer and now it's back again. And they think that he's going to, he's thinking he's losing his mom. And so, yeah, he's, he's upset, but then, I, I'll never forget sitting down with him at the stairs after he left the group and he just sat there and cried and was like, I, he was just so frustrated. I was like, it's okay, man. Like, it, it's okay to be frustrated. Cry it out. Talk to me, right? Just if you need to talk to me, poke me on the shoulder. Hey, Coach Ben, we got to, you know, let's, can, can we go talk to you for a moment? For sure. And I told every kiddo that and how many times a kiddo would come up and maybe it was something that seemed benign in my, in my view, it meant something to that kid where there's someone at school who keeps on calling me names, right? Okay. Well, let's talk about it. What are we going to do? How does that make you feel? All right. So then what are you going to do? How are you going to confront this situation? Are you going to confront, you know, like just, just working through it and talking about it and trying to teach them how to be better humans. And I, there's so many really cool points that I will just never forget with some of these kids where I saw one that was like one, just a good kid. And he was just too tall for his age group. And he was like a foot and a half taller than everybody else. And so he's figuring out like the complexities of this really weird body. His mom is like six foot four and then his dad's like (laughs) six foot eight. And it was like, it's insane, right? He's just so huge, but it was crazy. And so I got to like teaching him, like feeling awkward in this body and then feeling awkward, maybe in school. It's like, Hey man, you just you you got some time. It's okay. And then seeing his grades change and his confidence build, and his parents be like, "Hey, he won this award for like the most improved student this year." I'm like, yeah, like yes, like I don't want to take full ownership of that because it, it, I can I can have some influence, but it made an impact. Because like it's that's, that's one of the uh, most like children are one of the most beautiful I don't want to say concepts but like they are so they're just like this pure innocence 
and they're looking at the world through this different perspective and they're relying on the structure and the safety and the conditioning of the adults around them. That's just how it is. You know, they don't have the skills yet to function in the world. Obviously, they're still kids, very intelligent, very bright individuals, but they're just not developed in that way. And so they're relying on the environment, the people around them. And so it's crazy how every single thing, like, you know, if they're just this little bright little light, you know, this malleable little light and like everything is making an imprint on them and then they become adults. And so why not have the intention, you know, and not, I I understand that not everyone has a, developed a deep sense of awareness of how they impact the world and how they impact people. But with kids, like we have a responsibility as adults around children to hold that space, be that point of mentorship, because what you're doing matters. Every interaction you have with them matters. And it leaves some form of imprint, whether you remember your whole childhood or not, it left a programming, whether that was in school whether that was in your friendships, your teachers, your parents, your family, like whatever, the things that you were exposed to in TV, music, whatever, like it's building you a foundation as a person. So if we bring that awareness to how we're raising the youth, you could completely make an entire shift in society. Because look at how it's really, really sad in this country, how mental health is this huge pandemic right now affecting people. And it's, you know, partially, I think it's just because one, it's not supported, the mental and emotional, it's just not supported on how to process things. And two, like there's so much information coming in all the time. They're exposed to so much all the time, especially, I mean, I'm 30. And so when I was in high school, it was just like Facebook, you know, there wasn't all this other stuff. And you know, these young people are seeing all this stuff on social media all the time. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's overwhelming. And they don't know where they fit in anymore. And they're being mentored and impacted by so many people that don't necessarily have great value systems. And I think what's hard is that you don't know what those value systems are, right? There's a, like you have so much stuff coming at you. I mean, me, I I can get sucked into Instagram reels and TikTok, right? There's so much like mentorship and business coaching and like these, all these little tidbits that sound really nice, but it's like, well, who is that? Who's saying it? How did they get there? How did they do that thing? And it's like I I I like the idea of keeping it think exactly like yeah. think think local right look in your community it doesn't need to be this huge conglomerate or this big person that needs to have this platform look at your look at your neighbor look at how can you know look go and volunteer at your local school something that's so small that might seem what maybe insignificant in this world of of likes and shares and it, it's like well it, i only impacted one person i didn't get 50 likes and it's like you impacted one person that's going to have a ripple effect not just in their life but in the lives around them forever mm-hmm. i don't fucking care how many likes you have that 
that change is insane. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can change the world one person at a time really is the truth. Give someone some care and some love and just be honest and authentic. And if you fuck up, you fuck up. Everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's going to have their times where they're going to mess up. Owning those things and saying, hey, I'm sorry I did this thing. You know, like, especially to a kid that sees somebody owning their mistakes or their fuck up, I think that's huge. Oh, I forgot something. You forget? Yeah. Because it teaches humble. It teaches you to be humble. And it also teaches authenticity. And something that you said, like, you know, you can impact so many lives. And that's a true power that we have. And the first life that you need to change is your own in order for you to be authentic teacher, because you can talk all you want. But if your actions aren't aligned with it, then then it's not going to make as big of an impact, you know, it's just not as true. And something that I wanted to tell you about one of my most impactful, like this, this experience on mushrooms changed my entire life forever. Like it will never be the same. So during this dark time in my life, the dark ages, (laughs) um, I, I, you know, was just wilding, doing drugs, not taking care of myself, like nothing. And I was a bloodbath. I bloodbath. What's up? <laughs> Hashtag wrath <laughs> <laughs> <of> bloodbath <laughs> at fuckaroundandfind.com. <laughs> so ate these mushrooms, and the only way I can describe this is like I fell into my mind. Like I was just in a mind space. Like my like it was just a white room, and I was in there. And my brother was there in my mind. So like not actually in the room, but like in my mind, this is what happened. I was yelling at my older brother about how he was on all these drugs, how he wasn't taking care of himself. And like, don't you care? Like, don't you care about your life enough to take care of yourself? Like, look at what you're doing to yourself. Do you want to die? Like, is that like, what are you doing? He dissolved and it turned into a mirror. And I was just yelling these things at myself. And then it changed to my mom and I was yelling at my mom about how she wasn't taking care of herself. She was eating really unhealthy and like, didn't she want to like live? Does she hate herself? Like, what are you doing? She dissolved and it turned into a mirror. And I was yelling at these, these things to myself. And I was like, Whoa, everything you see that triggers you and you want to like control and change and heal in other people you can't do unless you've healed that part in yourself. And it's just a reflection of what's a piece of you inside that you're just not seeing that you're seeing projected onto somebody else. Maybe they are like that, but why are you so focused on it? What's triggering that inside of you about it? Because I was wild and out on drugs, doing all this crazy stuff, not taking care of myself. So I was just yelling at them about it, but really it was me that I needed to change. And so I was like, okay, the only way I can make a lasting impact and help heal other people is to start doing it in my own life. Cause then I, I could truly come from a place of change because I did it myself. And I just kept repeating out loud. Nothing's ever going to be the same. Nothing's ever going to be the same. Nothing's ever going to be the same. And my friend that was with me, he was like, no, no, no. Like, cause that's all I kept saying out loud. <laughs> 
And he was like, oh, my God, we lost her. <laughs> he was like, no, Jenna, like, you're just, you're on mushrooms right now. Like, it's okay. Like, it's going to pass. And I was like, no, you don't, like, no, nothing's ever going to be the same. Like, I'm never going to see it the same. And it, it's true. Like, ever since then, like, that's how I've seen the world. And, like, when I'm really, like, you know, spouting off or, like, moving too fast and just not in control and I'm focused super hyper on something, like, if something's happening in my life repeatedly, I'll, like, stop and be like, okay, what is external reality is telling me that internal reality is operating at this frequency because it's just attracting this. And I'm noticing it, but I'm not noticing it, you know? And so then I'll, like, turn Say back that again, around. please. Um, go, go through that again, please. So Do you mind? when you see repetitive cycles happening in your reality and you don't like it and you don't like it, everything in your reality has been a vibrational frequency from within you. And so it's just attracting what you are. And so instead of trying to change it out here, you got to change it in here to shift the energy and to attract other things. Cause you're seeing it and you're like, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And you're just, it's not sinking in. You're not getting it until you see how it's in, it's inside of you. And if you don't make the shift in there, it's never going to change out there. I like that. Oh, mushrooms. Oh, mushrooms. Indeed. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I've never had an experience like that on shrooms. I have more of the experiences, one of like losing my mind and, and not. I've had more of those on like LSD than I've ever had on on shrooms. And on it was with shrooms, the first time I ate them, I was in a car. And it was like, we were 30, like 15, 20 minutes away from the house or 30 minutes away from that, whatever it may have been. Right. We were some, like some distance away and we we're like, Oh, well, if our friends are at the house and they're eating them now, I was with a buddy and we we're like, well, let's eat ours now. By the time we start, like by the time we get to the house, we'll probably start tripping. It was my first time ever eating shrooms. Um, and so it was an eighth and ate my eighth and he ate his and, it was at night and down like on 210 in San Antonio at night and it started getting darker and darker. And I guess we misjudged the time. It was more like 45 or an hour out. And I react extremely fast to most things. I just, I have very sensitive to pretty much anything that I put in my body. I can feel it. And mm -hmm. within five to 10 minutes, I was like, Oh shit, this is not okay. And so I'm, on 210, flying at 70 miles an hour, the road like that uh, – there's a movie. I think it – maybe Hangover or something like where, the, where the road gets super long and narrow and the lights get tall. It's like the perfect – that's exactly what it was. And I was like, this isn't good. This isn't good. And like trying to stay sober. I got to I, I, I gotta maintain enough of myself to get to the house and not kill us. And mm -hmm. I, so you're fighting this, this trip the entire time you finally get to the house and just <coughs> vomited everywhere. It makes, I, um, it reminds me, I don't want to puke right now. Um, but I, that, that I never forget that nastiness of, of that experience. And then I've had a couple more recently that were really nice that were not super, like not super profound like that. There were more like 
understanding how the world is and then also understanding where I might my things that I lack in. It's like I, I it was I told a friend that I was gonna be I was gonna help him out at like one o'clock. Right? He was leaving. He's he he's a vegan, and so he. Whenever we had cocktails, he would I, I'd make a, like a ginger syrup, and uh, he would put the ginger syrup with some soda water and make a ginger ale or a ginger beer. Right? Um, it was just a fresh one, and it was nice, and it was oh, it was the, I made a really good uh, syrup. And so, how did you make it? I told him, huh? How did you make it? What'd you put in it? Um, the, I think the first one I did was a, um, I, I grabbed the ginger, peeled it and then put it inside water and sugar. Or I, I cut it up first, um, and then put it with some water and sugar, just a one, I think a two to one ratio. So I did two mm-hmm. parts sugar, one part water. So it's shelf, it's like longer. Syrup. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I like, I autoclave my glasses. And so I put the, put the glasses inside my, my oven, 500 degrees for, I think it was like 20, 25 minutes and they come out and you, you know, oh, it was, it, I love, I love that kind of stuff. It's yeah. detailed. It's fast. It's fun. It's, it's not very fast at all, but it's fun. Um, can I tell and, you, and you get to have like this creative, yeah. say it again. The best. Okay. So that's how I used to make ginger simple syrup. Then I changed it, and this is like the best ginger syrup I've ever had, ever. So okay, I have a masticating juicer, which is like a slower press juicer. Um, mm-hmm. Ginger root in. You make a lot of ginger juice, and you can do like two cups maybe of ginger juice. You put it in a blender with the sugar, those ratios. So instead of using water, you're using ginger juice. And then the sugar, Damn. you just blend it, and it blends it all together, and it is so good. It's got that like okay. spice and ginger flavor. It's Ooh. just, it's so full. It's so good. Okay, noted. Yeah. I'm gonna do that. I've done, I've done it with the first time. That's how I did it, and I liked it because I got to keep the 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 ginger and then put them in because I ended up candying them. So then I put them inside the oven and then toasted them. And then that would be my, like um, my uh, yes, my garnish. Thank you. Um, And then afterwards I I played with it quite a bit. I like the ginger juice one. The only problem I had with the ginger juice is that if you didn't use it fast enough, it seemed like all the, the material would gather at the bottom. Did you have that issue or no? Did you, what kind of juicer did you use? Like, is it a centrifugal one that like spins? It has that like cone thing, upside down cone thing on the inside. That's all like a yes. Blade. Okay, so yes. that doesn't. So centrifugal juicers are great for like melons, apples, carrots, like great for that stuff. But when it comes to making like okay fresh pressed ginger juice the masticating juicer takes more of the juice out and it puts it through this really fine mesh screen and so it didn't really settle that much and like when i mixed it with the sugar it didn't really settle at all like when i blended it all together nice yeah a masticating juicer yeah I can send you a picture okay. of the box of mine. It was like maybe two eighty on Amazon. I got it like eight years ago. I love it. I got a vitamin. Damn, and it lasted the time. So good. Yes, please, please share that with me. That'd be wonderful. 
Yes. This um, uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. We'll not see. Yet. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we we will get there at one point. I got my first two sponsors yesterday, which is kind of cool. Um, That's sweet. Yeah, moving on up, and so they they said they would. I want to start doing ad reads for them, which is kind of cool. So either way, um, uh, they're in this. I told him I was going to help him do this this ginger syrup because this is like he was leaving town to go into Houston and go to to live with his mom and help his mom out. Um, He had graduated. uh, He was a veterinarian, so he he moved out over there and for a job and. I was like, I had decided I chose to take, uh, to eat shrooms that night. And I was, but I'd already made that commitment. And so we had stayed up a lot, like it kept us up, right? Um, kept us up very long and ended up being up till like, you know, let's say I was going to meet him. I think it was probably, I was going to meet him at 11 and I was up till like nine. And I I had this like super. No, not at all. So I had this like super visceral reaction where uh, I I knew the one thing that I had was my word and I needed to commit. I decided to do this. He didn't he is a I made a commitment to him to do this thing because I made a decision. It it shouldn't impact that other individual. I have decided on something. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, we're sleeping for 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it be, and we're getting my ass up and we're going to this thing. We're not changing the schedule. I'm staying committed to this item. I also had this, like, I could just say, and this is where it started. I was like, I, I could just say that I can't, right? But then I, every time I would try to say it, it was like, I gag and I have this thing every time I, I get like anxiety or I feel like I'm lying to myself. I have this like, like, that's <coughs> the worst. Oh my God. I'm the worst. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh my God. It's pretty bad. Um, and so I couldn't get out to say that I was just going to lie or just, I was like, this is a thing that I recognize about myself that I need to change because I can say I can't go, right? I can go. I fucked up. I made a decision. I didn't even, it's not that I fucked up. I just made a decision. Right. Choices I need to, lead to consequences, good or bad. Exactly. You know, everything that you do. And that's really cool that you had that moment because you didn't make the excuse or you wouldn't allow yourself to make the excuse of like, oh, like I'm not feeling well or, oh, I, something came up, blah, blah, blah. I think that it's something that's so easily done and so it's done so much in our society that it's the norm and it's not okay. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, confidence is really built through promises you keep to yourself. You know, if you say you're going to do something and then you don't, that chips away internally at your confidence. Cause if you can't even trust your word, then how are you going to do anything? I think it's also, it makes it harder to trust other people and be vulnerable enough to be open to their help. If I am mm-hmm. constantly being dishonest, then I am going to assume that Jenna's being dishonest. And so right. now 
I can't anything that she says. I'm walking on eggshells around to say, hmm, what? Where is she? Like trying to get me here, right? And it's like it's a this playing this gotcha game inside my own head when this other person's probably like, I don't know what the fuck's your problem, but I'm just trying to be helpful and honest right now, and you're right. making this shit real hard, you know? And it's because we project, it's not fair. We project who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's, it's not fair. No, it's trippy. And at the end of the day, like if you can't, if you can't stay true to your word or what you say you're gonna do, then everything else kind of fails on top of that. There, are, there are no long-term plans. There's like. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get faced with the next opportunity and you're not gonna stand up to it. You're not gonna be able to because you haven't dealt with it in here, right? And right. it, it's really kind of a beautiful thing and also a very, it can mm-hmm. be a very scary thing realizing that the power that you have in your life is, is insurmountable. You have all of the power, and you can do anything that you want, anything in the world. That you, like, as we're, I think we're told that as kids, like you can even be president. And mm-hmm. I think that you can fucking do anything that you want. Like, that's not an understatement. Like, if you really, really want to be a podcaster, you're gonna fucking figure it out, and mm-hmm. you're gonna get better mm-hmm. as you continue to do it. And if you really want to then you will find a way, right? And you can, you don't like not beating yourself up before you even get to the thing, creating a product to, to go out and um, live a better life, to have a better relationship, to do whatever the fuck you want. It is your power to do it. And it's just fucking doing it. Oh my right. God, it makes me, I love it. And you know, your, your body, your thoughts, will pave the way, the direction for your body to go. And, you know, your thoughts are this vibrational frequency where it's like, okay, if I'm constantly, like you were saying, if you're constantly doubting yourself before you're going to do something, you're going to create more of that. And so when you align the power of your thoughts, the power of your mind with the power of your actions and choices, like you really are an unstoppable force. And if you think about it, if, people operated with that sense of awareness and accountability like it would it would change reality a hundred percent like a hundred percent and but instead we're taught how to not really be aware not really think for ourselves not really have any sort of like accountability just like do do what I say do what I say do what I say follow this, follow this, follow this. And so it's easier to control people's minds like that. And I think in a larger scale, whatever's happening in the world, it would be like if the people knew and took on how powerful they actually are, the whole world would change. But then the systems in place wouldn't be successful. So instead, it's like, let's distract everyone with this. Let's, you know, program. Let's do fear. Let's do all this stuff so that people aren't aware of how powerful they truly are to change their life. 
I think we're all like we have superpowers. I think we really do. I think maybe that's it might be weird at times, but I feel like it's almost like mythical. And I love mythical things. I love Lord of the Rings. I love stuff like that. It's just you have these powers and everybody has their own set of them. And if you can tap into what that is for you, mm-hmm. it's anything. And it is the, it's the system of the, like the Rockefeller method of, of manufacturing. It's the school system is just churning people out. It's not meant to teach. It's meant to progress, to, to not think really. Like mm-hmm. it's a progression of, of information that's never really like I can like with Google, I, I don't need to know any of this shit. I don't need to know in 17, 1607. I don't fucking need to, right? I can look it up. And if it, but if, if it matters, I don't, I don't know why that matters so much, right? I think history is important. I understand that, but just feeding me information and not telling me what we learned from it and how we adapted and how society changed, then it's just fucking words, right? It's just memorizing and that does nothing. And at the end of the day, what lens is that history being taught? Is the full story being shared? That's one of the issues I'm having or I have with our education system or even like media and news as a whole. It's like, okay, well, you just spun that to make it seem a certain way. And that makes me feel like there's an agenda behind it. Like if we're going to learn history, why not learn like it raw full from all sides? That'd be really nice. That would be great. If you know, just a little honesty every once in a while in our society. Honesty is the best policy. It really, as as cliche and, and lame as it might sound, it's fucking real. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, I'm on this mission right now, this path, this, this purpose has been laid upon my life. And when I look at my life as a whole, everything has added up to this. And so this, you know, financial business I'm in, it's really going to be an incredible vehicle to make this school system happen sooner rather than later. And I'm also going to, at the same time, purchase a beautiful, like huge plot of land, build a barn dominium that has off the grid potential, you know, just in case anything happens, boom, my house is okay. Going to have my own like manual pump, well, livestock, garden, like anything that I need. Don't need society. But I'm going to have it so all of these things are being taught within school because if that could be like one of the greatest, like that could be, that's a legacy. That is a legacy. And I feel so passionate about education and kids and development and all of this stuff. So why not use the platform I have and the ability to, you know, help people and get financially really stable myself and then boom, put it into my mission and my purpose. Cause at the end of the day, I don't know what's going to happen. I do not want to know what's going to happen because through this whole, so to summarize or to like bring in full circle with my whole spiritual experience. So went through new age spirituality hard hard practice 
astrology, crystals, yoga, affirmations, law of attraction, like all of it. And in reality, it's all very you centered. Like instead of like you are, you know, made in the image of this higher power, like you are this higher power. You are this God. You are all of this stuff. And as powerful as I think that we are as a species, I don't think that we are the overarching creating force, you know? And so very vegan, very like on one side of things, very much. Went through COVID where I was at home a lot because everything was closed up here in Michigan. And I was learning a lot of information that I had, because for me, part of the like vegan new age movement, I was very, very focused on love and light, love and light, beautiful things, love and light. And I could easily disassociate from anything that's negative. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's not love and light. So like, we don't need to worry about that. But in doing so, I was doing a huge disservice to myself and like what was actually happening in the world and the tragedies that are actually going on in the world, just blocking myself off to it. And so I learned a lot of really crazy stuff that completely switched my viewpoint. I remember there was this one week where I was like, like when I stopped being vegan and I started really looking at myself. And being like, okay, do you believe this because you believe it? Or do you believe this because this is what you were taught? Because like my body started feeling horrible. I was so sore all the time. I felt exhausted. I felt old, like just aging, like no vitality left. And I was eating a ton of vegetables, like doing it right in the vegan eyes. And there was this whisper voice in my head all the time. Like, what if you need meat? What if you need eggs? What if these things will make you feel better? Like, what if you're wrong? So I started incorporating meat and it was just like the craziest psychological process because my body loved it. Like it was immediate. My body felt so good. I didn't get sick or anything. And I just like started really feeling good. And it was my emotion and my mind that hard, had a hard time accepting it, being like, okay, this is, it's a, it's okay. That's not. Yes, that was your identity, but that's not you necessarily. And I was like, I don't want to get too political or anything, but um, I went through a lot of shifts when it came to mentality and how I saw the world because before I didn't know all sides of things and I didn't know how a lot of things worked. And I was just making a lot of, I was just following the crowd of opinions then I went through COVID and I really started seeing the world and I was like, okay, something's not adding up. This isn't adding up. Like, why is this programming us to fear this or hate this? Like that, like, why are they, what's, what's going on? And I was super exposed to what's happening with child trafficking in, in the world and in this country. And I always thought it was something that was like, oh, that happens in like, third world countries that doesn't happen here like just like you know put out of sight out of mind and I started learning really in depth about it all and I was like like I couldn't shake this feeling and I was like that is the most to me that's the 
that's the most evil thing that you can do is do that to a child because that is the biggest form of evil to me because children are defenseless and they are innocent and it's just stealing their youth and so through that I was like okay if this evil stuff is really happening in the world which it is and learning about it all like shook me for a couple weeks to where I was like, oh my God, what if I was wrong about so many things? Like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Good thing I'm just in a pandemic right now and I'm just at home rollerblading, <laughs> listening to podcasts. Because <laughs> like I was, you know, on, and I don't, I don't ever want to like force my opinions or like political viewpoints on anyone. But, like, I am who I am about it. Um, but I believe that you can obviously vote for or believe whatever you want. It's a free country. I was very much on the liberal side of things. And I, like, went to a Bernie Sanders rally. Like, it's all about it, feeling the burn, everything. Then I was learning about child trafficking. And I learned about how Donald Trump was one of the first presidents to create a task force to to really fight child trafficking. And there were so many trafficking rings that got busted and so many arrests made throughout his presidency. And I didn't know that because it's not like broadcasted. And so when I was learning about all these things and like the policies he enacted, instead of just listening to what like the media was saying about him and letting that form my opinion, I was actually doing research into the policies he enacted. And I had no idea about most of it. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, was I wrong? Like, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Like, oh my God, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? And so a lot of things shifted, but when I really got into and started, like, it cracked my mind, all the child trafficking stuff. And I was like, okay, if this, if this like deep of evil exists in this world, like that has to be Satan. Like that is the most that, like, that is just the most evil thing I've ever heard what could be that corrupt other than like the devil himself? So, yeah. if, so if Satan's real, then like maybe God's real. Maybe like I have to believe that God is real. If that's really happening in this world. And so then I was asking questions cause I didn't have any religious standing at all. And I um, had this friend, she was one of my mentors and I was asking her about it because she's a Christian. And I was like, how do you like, how do I start to know like, God, I want to learn about Jesus. I want to learn about this stuff. And so I started going to Bible study at her house every week and just reading the word. And there's so many, so many great lessons in there that are very relevant for today. And through that experience, I felt like a final, like, rest i felt so relieved i had been running 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 trying to figure out like what's the key to life what's the key to life what's this what's this what's this and for the first time ever i just felt like okay everything is okay now everything is fine and so even just going and i wasn't going to church at all i was just going to bible study and through bible study i was actually baptized at their house in their pond just through going to Bible study, being like, okay, love the word of this. And I, I had a hard time even calling myself a Christian at first because there's just so much 
like humans have done a really good job of twisting and like perverting a lot of stuff. And I think that there's evil just everywhere and perversion everywhere. And so the word in itself, I was like, ooh, like I don't want to be referred to as a Christian. Like I just like reading the Bible and I like Jesus. That's what I'm going to be. But then I started realizing like, okay, I don't have to identify as like what all of that is. And I can make it my own, basically. Like, okay, it's okay to, because that's what it is, is Christianity as a whole. And I don't necessarily have to, like, I can remake what it means to be a Christian instead of fearing what people are going to think of me because of how it's painted. Like, okay, this is what I believe, and this is what I'm going to stand firm in. And this is what's truly, like, saved my mind and my heart. It's wild. So it's like I went from not having any spiritual beliefs to going through all this new age to getting baptized. And so it's like the opposite because most people are raised Christian, but then they go to new age and it's more like, oh, the universe and whatever. And like people can believe whatever they want to believe. I, you know, you have the freedom of that. But for me personally, that's the cycle I went on instead. And that was what impacted my life the most. And it's crazy that all of that led to that. That's pretty amazing. And I want to continue our conversation, but I do have to go. We have a little bit of a hard stop. So we're going to do an, huh? Yeah. So we're two 30. Um, We're going to have to do this again. You and I, you are an amazing person. You are really cool. And I'm very glad that you reached out and I'm glad that I responded after 17 years. It is so cool that you just gave me this little preview before the movie. And it was a wonder. You're just, you're cool. I'm using a lot of fun little references that people don't understand, but you had had no idea the can of worms you just opened, huh? (laughs) No, but I love it. Like, this is amazing. You, I just, just outstanding. You're, you're a really cool individual. And I hope that we continue our conversation, but I'm, so we're going to continue after we end the call, but I'm going to give you the floor, um, either one, one nugget or one thing that you would like to leave us with. And then, um, once you have finished that thing, we'll close out. And then I'm going to end the call and then we're going to chat after. Perfect. Okay. One thing that I would like to leave the call with. The one person that you are going to live with for the rest of your life is yourself. So spend some time, whether it's looking into your own eyes in the mirror and getting to know yourself and appreciating who you are and really getting to know yourself because that's the one person you have to live with forever. And if you are looking in the mirror and you can't live with that person, you have the power to change it. All it takes is you. That's it. Thank you for tuning in. Love you.
Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. 